five. As we continue the series leading up to Easter next week, saved. What does saved mean? For some people, it's just going to heaven. But saved is a whole lot more than just going to heaven. Saved is beyond that. It's bringing heaven to earth. It's not first going to heaven. It's how does heaven be experienced on earth? You say, oh, that's impossible. No, it's very possible. How does heaven get experienced on earth? Well, we started off in verse 6 of chapter 5 of Romans, so it don't hurt to back up into that and uh, work our way through. It wouldn't hurt to read verse 1 first either. So let's read verse 1 first. And he says, for we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Key thing, that verse works itself out here in verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man. Someone would dare even die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, this is where we start off this week, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Tough passage, huh? A lot of big words, huh? Well, let's pay attention to the Spirit of God. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for the fact that you have blessed us in this way. And God, many of us, we many times think about being right with you, so we go to heaven. And you're saying a whole different story. It's not about going to heaven first. So God, I pray that your purpose would be achieved today. Guide us, God. Guide us to understand what you're trying to do for us. So that whenever you challenge us, we would be so appreciative. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, when my sons were teenagers, I used to go to Jersey Village High School, and the principal got to know me and realized I'm not going to do nothing crazy. So I was able to go visit and eat lunch, be around my sons from time to time. But what it did was it exposed me to a crazy world that they were in. What I mean by that, I saw how the young ladies dressed. I saw how they came up to my sons. I saw, uh, look at this curriculum, the teaching, the curriculum teaching, and all that they were exposed to and what they were teaching the children and all this other stuff in terms of a philosophical concept that finds man to be good, not bad, and that 
the system that man is in that makes man bad, completely opposite to God, who says it's depraved. Man is depraved, and you got to save man. System different, the mindset different, the teaching is exposing them to all kind of things. Football and all the achievements they made in football brought in a whole not a situation. I remember driving up to my house one day and there is a bunch of cars parked in front of the house. There are cars in the driveway. I can't get in my own driveway. And when I walk in my house, there's all these little girls running around the house. And I'm going, okay. I need to talk to my wife before she walks in the door. <laughs> um, a whole different world. Popularity. Remember my son getting a ticket, going to court, like I explained. Judge say, oh, you don't pay for a ticket in here. You're Paul Cannings. I didn't say, hey, this is world is not real, son. Coming down the court steps of Jersey Village. That's a, that doesn't really happen. I, re I recognize one day that for a young 16-year-old, 15-year-old, 17-year-old, 18-year-old, that they're going to be thrusted into a world that to them is great. But to me, it's dangerous. It could destroy them. It could destroy the way they think. It could destroy how they look at their parents when their parents are talking to them. We seem weird. Old-fashioned, especially coming from a different country. We don't know this country. We don't know what we're talking about. I could see how they could look at us and say, y'all just don't know what's going on. I could see how it could be so desperately different that they see us as so foreign and out of tune that we become their enemies. So I remember one day sitting on the counter in the kitchen. I said, son... Uh, let me try to pull you up. Sit on the floor for a minute. Let me try to pull you up. And he says, ah, sure, Dad. <laughs> Come on, man. I reached down, and he pulled me down. I said, I thought I was bigger than you for right now anyway. He goes, what are you trying to say? I said, son, no matter where you think you stand, if you constantly around people that could pull you down, the Bible says they will. Bad company corrupts good character. Trying to get them to see that was the hardest thing. See, God is our Father. He sees Satan going back and forth throughout the world. Every day he's a spirit being coming to kill, steal, destroy. God sees Satan as a person who has created what is called a world philosophy. When we see the word war, world in the Bible, we tend to look at the word world as countries. God looked at the word world as a concept that is different than his. So Satan has created concepts that are different than God. He created a concept about marriage that's now different. He's created a concept about money that is different. He's created a concept about how we function in the world that's different. So he keeps us so busy, so busy that on Sundays we're too tired to do anything with church. On Sundays, why are we going to church? Matter of fact, I, I went out to my granddaughter's game yesterday and all the parents were talking about is, can't believe it. They got all these games tomorrow. Church is not on the list. Matter of fact, I'm looking at a, looking at a movie uh, with my son, and the, the guy says the NFL now owns Sunday. The church one owns, once owned Sunday, but we now own Sunday. The world now sees Sunday as a day where they could have all these activities. Why? Why church? Satan decided to design his own church service. So he has, uh, he got a tailgate party so folks could do the Lord's Supper. 
He's got singing in the stadium so people could sing and, and raise their hands to their football teams. They could bring their offerings and pay large ticket prices to get in. They could sit up there and they can have all these concession stands where they can eat. Satan has recreated his, a worship service and put it into sports and, and put it into the glamour of Hollywood and put it into the glamour of musicians. And so people now worship those things. And to come to God and listen to the music in the church is like, that music just don't get me. He's created a world that is so opposite that when, when God is speaking, God don't make sense. God doesn't make sense. God, God is so foreign and dumb. Just like when I'm sitting talking to my young kid, my teenage kids, and I sit there. We spend time in devotions. I say, son, what makes no sense to you in this passage? Honestly, God, son, dad, I don't get none of it. So well, why don't you get any of it? Going to college, sitting with them. Why don't you get any of it? Why does it not make sense? Long meetings, sometimes going out to dinner with them, sitting up late at night, sometimes until 2 o'clock in the morning, walking through these systems because Satan has so created a way of thinking that today God is foreign. Doesn't make sense. And God understands that the system is not in place to entertain us. The system is not in place to make us good because the system is so messed up that if a person was to become immoral, there are 39 sexual diseases out there. Two people can be in a marriage and be faithful to one another, not one disease. Outside of marriage, 39. He understands that Satan will make the glamour of the world great and wonderful and push what he wants to push about sexuality because to everybody it's fun, it's great, it's awesome. To Satan, it's a way to destroy. We don't see it because he blinds our eyes. To where God is the light, he makes him darkness. You see, to raise, for God to raise us in this world is why he says, Salvation is about deliverance. See, to us, salvation is about getting to heaven. To him, salvation is delivering us from an enemy today. Delivering us to be able to see this enemy for who he is. To the point when Paul would say, I no longer live. It is Christ that lives in me. Paul could then say, Satan, I see all your schemes. I see every last one of your schemes. Because Paul's eyes were open to where he was anxious for nothing. You could make life get difficult for Paul. He's anxious for nothing because he could see the schemes. Paul could, the life could be totally full of so much drama. And Paul could say, I, I can do all things through Christ because he could see the schemes. So a lot of times when we come to salvation, we see it as I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. And God is going, no, you are saved to live productive on earth. You're saved to be a person who grows up as a mature Christian to be able to do wonderful things for your family, for the community, and for God and to make his church family great. I didn't just raise you to go to heaven. Heaven is done taken care of. I've got a place prepared for you. Heaven is already built. When you get there, there's no work to do. Heaven is already set up where when you get there, you rest and you have peace in God and you rejoice with him and the angels and your family is reconciled. Heaven is done. It's earth that's the issue. There's nothing to do here because I came here and said it was finished. But the issue is, is how you operate on earth. And if earth effort becomes so overwhelming, your salvation literally means nothing because instead of getting joy out of it, you get stress. 
Instead of getting peace out of it, you get stress. Instead of getting joy out of it, you, you get stress. Instead of being financially liberated, you end up financially restrained. Instead of solving issues in your family, you find them more perplexing because you lack wisdom. And instead of going to the, to the job and people driving you crazy, you could find in the midst of the job, you could still have a joy because nothing in this world overwhelms you. He says, I'm trying to deliver you from this world. So when you get to heaven, you're enjoying paradise. And that's what he's trying to teach us in this passage today. He's not trying to teach us about salvation leading me to heaven. That's done. On Crowley's cross, he died, rose from the dead. He overcame death. Done. We don't have to deal with that anymore. It's done. It's finished. He faced the penalty of sin, death, overcame it, rose, sat at the right hand of the Father. Done. The issue is, how do we live on earth productively, effectively, so that our salvation works for us now? That's the issue. <laughs> you know, I used to coach uh, football. I am no football player. My football is soccer. So I decided to read up on football. So I was an athletic director at a boy's home for delinquent kids. That's why I was before I became a probation officer. I was into young people. As a youth minister, I wanted to see young people's lives be better. So <laughs> I worked at this youth village, athletic director. They said, well, one of the things you have to coach is football. I said, all right, no problem. So I got to study it, look at it, study the schemes, learn the schemes, work through it. Not a problem. Nothing they can't achieve. I haven't played it, so I'm going to get some other people who've played it to come help me coach. So some of the people from the community came, helped me coach, taught me a bunch of things about football and the schemes to make the game work. You see, <laughs> They, the enemy on the other side will let you huddle. But they're not letting you huddle just so you could go, hey, they get to huddle. Look at their uniforms. It's real cute and pretty. Look at their helmets. Oh, wow. Like the decorations of the helmet. Oh, man, look at their shoes. They're not interested. They want to hear you say hut. And they come against you with everything they got. And if the scheme that you put together doesn't work, you are going backwards, not forwards. Satan is going, y'all could have church all day. It's when you say, hot, do you pick up this book or don't you pick it up? Because this book does not return void. This book is your victory. This book is your empowerment. That's why he's saying to us, the first thing when we come to this whole issue of salvation is learning that we have to be in full connection with the coach. If we're in full connection with the coach and we are committed to the coach's plays, the game is just something we are experiencing God in, not the effects of Satan. We don't experience the effects of Satan. We experience the powerful movement of God in our lives. That's what we will experience. So the more Satan comes against us is the more we learn how the playbook works, is the more we learn how effective the coach is in their schemes, is the more we learn how weak the defense is, is the more we learn how to score the touchdowns. It's because the enemy is only making us better, not worse. So our trials are supposed to perfect us. Our trials are supposed to make us stronger. Our trials are supposed to make us wiser because he's talking about salvation being deliverance. So the first thing is, we got to hook up with the coach. 
Here's how it works. Look at verse 9. He says, much more then, having now been justified by his blood. That's a big old fancy word, and I know that we can look at that word and, and do a dance. Okay? Justified is not, is not a big deal. Okay? When in terms of the meaning of the word. The meaning of the word is not a big deal. It's like you're going to apply for a job, and they have these qualifications for this job. And you're applying for the job. And they look at your qualifications, and they look at the qualifications that is expected of the job, and if there's a match, they say you have basically been equalized to what they need, and they give you the job. The Bible is saying man, as we see from the other verses, look at the verses real quickly for verse 6 through verse 9, verse 8, you would see how man looked to God. Man was helpless. In other words, he could not go on the cross and be worthy on the cross to die. Could you imagine a man who was not fully God sitting up there getting beaten, spit on? What would we do? Start cussing somebody back, fight back. We're going to do something. You're going to put me in no cross without a fight. Okay? We will not end up at the cross pure, holy, righteous. We could not make it. We were helpless. The Old Testament proved how helpless man was and that when God gave Israel laws and commandments, all they did was fail, 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 fail. Even Moses would fail. Abraham would fail. These righteous men will fail because man left his own without the empowerment of God cannot stand, live up to the standards of God forever. He's going to fail. So therefore we were helpless to have a relationship with God. We could not do it. So the more laws they commit, they put together in Texas is the more folk go to jail. They got to build bigger jail cells, the more laws they create because man is helpless to do what's right without God. So that's what he says. Here's the next thing. He says, when I found you, you were ungodly. In other words, there was no consciousness of God. Where did he find them? He found Israel in Malachi when he came to Jesus Christ, came in Matthew. When Jesus Christ came in Matthew, he found Malachi. What is it doing in Malachi? It's doing whatever is right in their own eyes. What are it doing in Malachi? Bringing all kind of difficult, messed up offerings before God. What are you doing in Malachi? The priests were cheating, all kind of stuff. He met them having money tables to turn over. He met Malachi in Matthew. So when you read the book of Malachi, it helps you to understand why when he came, they put him on the cross because they were so corrupt that when the God came on earth, they couldn't be God conscious enough to respect him. I met you ungodly. Here's the second way I met you. I met you as sinners, verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, meaning while we were yet, no matter how we try, we'll fall short of what God is saying. Whatever God is saying, we'll fall short of it from time to time. We may want to do the right thing, but Paul would say Romans chapter 7, it ends up being the wrong thing again. Because as I try to do the right thing, the wrong thing just keeps popping up on the inside. So that's why he says he found us as sinners. So when he found us as sinners, how could we stand before God helpless, ungodly, sinners on our own? Couldn't do it. So Jesus Christ had to come to equalize, to justify. He brought his resume to God's expectations, and God says, job well done. 
When he brought his expectations, his resume to God's expectations, God says, well done. And he says, now, anybody that so believes in the person who got the job and accept the person who got the job will join the company along with the person, which is Jesus Christ. That's what he means by justified. You're now in right standing with God. You're now in the right place with God. You now have a chance to go interact with God. And that's why he said, right there he says, in this situation, in verse, number, verse 9, he says, it was done by his blood. Why, why, why is this big thing about blood? It was done by his blood. Why did he say it was done by his death? Uh-uh. He said it was done by his blood. You, you got to picture this with me because it's kind of gross. I will tell you, it's kind of gross. Okay? It's gross, gross. You see, if you were living in Israel, the temple was on Mount Zion. It was a mountain. So you're walking by and Mount Zion. They would, because of their sins, they would go to Mount Zion with animal after animal after animal after animal. Could you imagine? Could you imagine this? You brought an animal and asked God to forgive you your sins. You turn away. And somebody make you do something crazy, think something crazy, act something crazy. Guess what you're doing again? Go buy another animal and go right back. And they're doing this over and over and over and over again. So the point that they would come to is when, when you're walking by Mount Zion, the side of the mountain was full of blood. It was full of blood. Why? Blood is life. That's why he would tell them in the Old Testament, don't eat anything with blood in it. Because the blood has yet to be shed on Calvary's cross. And I want you to make a point about blood. Because the minute you drain blood out of somebody, they're dead. They cannot live without blood. So that's why he's, every covenant in the Old Testament was signed with blood. Because blood means life. So yes, you could have said he died on the cross, but he's saying no, 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 no. On the cross, Jesus Christ dealt with sin with his blood. Because sin has to do with life or death. So if I sin, it means that every time I sin, I would have had to go take an animal. But Jesus Christ says, no, you only need him. He's the animal. He's the lamb on Calvary's cross. And his blood paid for every sin we could ever commit. So anytime I sin... God looks at Jesus first, and when he looks at Jesus, he said, that sin was paid for already. Every time I see the sin, I see your blood. I see the sin, I see your blood. I see the sin, I see the blood. I see the sin, I see the blood. He's just saying, at least respect the lamb by confessing the sin, but you don't have to get right with God when you confess the sin because the blood is already paid for the sin. What you're doing is respecting the holiness of God the righteousness of God, but in terms of the relationship with God, you're at peace with him. Because the blood keeps taking care of all of your sin. So, I, I, so every day when I'm living, if I sin, I got the blood. I, I, oh man, I thought the wrong thing. I got the blood. I, oh man, I acted the wrong way. I got the blood. Oh man, you know what? I shouldn't have said the right thing. Oh God, I got the blood. He says, at least respect the blood. That it was shed, it paid for every sin, so come to it and confess. Don't have to worry about being forgiven because the blood paid for your sin. That's why he's saying you're at peace with God. 
Because as far as God is concerned, you got the blood. Understand, that's why he, he's careful to say the blood. Because the blood comes before the death. See, he could have said, I paid it by my death. No, no, no. That's the resurrection he's going to be talking about. That's reconciliation. But when I'm paying for by my blood, I'm paying for it so that you don't have a sin that would ever separate you from God. Hallelujah. Could I get a witness? Somebody said, glory, hallelujah up in here. You've been paid for by the blood. He says, that's why we shall be what? Saved. Watch this careful. You shall be saved. So wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean saved? He says, you shall be saved by, from the wrath of God. Well, oh, you got to understand this. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. You shall be saved from the wrath of God. From the wrath of God. See, people walk around, oh, I messed up, man. God going to get me. God is going, no, I, I got nothing to do with that. Because as far as I'm concerned, you're at peace with me. I'm not trying to hurt you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. When God looks at us, he says, I ain't mad at you. That's why people go, oh, Pastor Kenneth, God going to be mad at me. No, he's not. Oh, you don't know what I've done. He's not. God is not mad at you. You have a peaceful relationship with God. The person who convicts you is trying to get you right with God so that you have a relationship with God, but positionally, your relationship with God is at peace. But functionally, he wants that relationship to work well. Let me give you, for instance, my son got the ticket. So, I have my wife going, you're going to handle this, right? It's interesting how women married to their husbands only let the husbands be the head of the house when things ain't right. They somehow hand you that mantle when it's messed up. Son come home with a ticket. She looks at me. She says, you're the head of the house. You got to handle that. She's scared of her babies. At that time, in the woodlands, there were a lot of kids having wrecks and dying. So she's scared for her babies. So you wanted this boy to drive at 16, so you handle it. <laughs> I know what that meant. Do me while you handle it. I said, okay, got it, no problems. Now, even though the ticket was dismissed if he doesn't have one in 30 days, the reason why I go to court with him, because he's my son. You don't see him going to court, somebody else going to court with him. You don't see the neighbor going, I got this. You don't see the person down the street or at the school going, I got this. No, the parent went to court with him. Why? The parent has a relationship with the son. So the parent goes to court with the son, but the son is still accountable for the ticket. Are you with me? So even though he's accountable for the ticket, who got the paycheck? The parent, not the son. So at the end of the day, he's just showing up in court. He basically ain't got nothing else to do. When he leaves the courthouse and jump in the car, whose car is it? The parent. Whose gas is in the car? The parent. Whose insurance is paying for the car? The parent. So technically, all he's doing is showing up in court. 
That's all he's doing. Because when the relationship with the parent is set right, he is right. The Bible is saying, listen, you have been paid for. The judge in the courthouse is not looking at you. He's looking at the parent. He's looking at Jesus Christ. And because he sees Jesus Christ functioning the way he is, he tells you what you need to hear to get you to act right because he wants you to run around town and behave right and function right and doesn't want nobody being hit or killed. So the judge is going to tell you what to do, but he doesn't punish you because he's looking at the parent. And if the judge decides to punish you for anything, the parent is going to go, I got it, I got it, I got it. Jesus Christ is going, if God was to say, oh no, we got to do something here, Jesus, I got it. I paid for this. I paid for this. I paid with my own blood. That's why he's saying the first thing about being delivered is that God and me, only issue is the relationship. So don't drive around tongue hurting anybody, but it is not whether or not the relationship is set is how the relationship functions, which we call, big word, we call in theology, progressive sanctification. I'm progressively becoming holy, but I am already holy, but I'm working out my salvation in fear and trembling, and the only reason I can work it out is because my relationship with God is good, and I want you now to see why he says saved, how that relationship works. And I want you to write down these four things if you choose. Because he is the one doing all this deliverance. He's the one delivering it all. Please hear me. He is the one delivering it all. We are not delivering nothing. So here's the first thing. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Here's the first thing you'll find. The first thing you find is in verse, is verse 17. You know, it doesn't hurt anything to go to verse 14. But he himself is our peace. Who's our peace? He himself. We don't have to create peace. It's done. Okay? It's the relationship. How do we make this relationship work? So we don't, like my son, if the judge don't hold him accountable, he could go around town speeding because I'm not in the car, his mom is not in the car, and kill somebody. He could go through a, <laughs> a school zone and hurt somebody because we're not in the car. So the judge holds the standard of how he operates, but the parent is managing the process. Are you with me? God has his standards, but there is a structure that holds it together so we don't go around hurting everybody because I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven, so y'all just got to deal with me. I know I'm blessed. God got me. You may not like me, but God got me, so I can just do me because I know where I'm going. He says, a person being saved, he wants them to be saved. Okay? So when you walk around town, you can say, that's my child. Not, oh, Lord, help my child. Here's what he says. He says in verse 14, he says, Verse 14 says, for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one, broken down the barrier of dividing wall. A fancy thing means when a Gentile shows up at the temple, there's a wall. That's why you have the Ethiopian eunuch as a person who was a proselyte. He can't get in the wall. There were guards with swords. If he tries to get in the wall, they kill him. 
The Bible says, I broke the wall down. So now you could come anytime. Anytime you got an issue, pray, talk to me, holler to me, come worship me, come to church and give me praise, come to church and pour your heart out. You now have full access to me. There is nothing that can stop you from having access because Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. You have full access. I don't understand when people say, I ain't got time for church. Oh, no. This is the place where he says when the people gather before God, I come into the presence when my, my body gathers. As I live inside of you. We'll get there in a minute. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So we have God with us every day. But the Bible says when I come into your presence is when you gather collectively. So we miss the presence of God when we miss church. He says, that's an access to me. Please understand, the barrier was at the temple. If a person decides to not to go past that barrier, in the temple they were dead. Christ is saying, I broke it down so you could worship me in my temple. Anytime you want. Any day you want. That's why church is huge. Because it's my access. I wanted to put on, they kind of talked me out of it. But I wanted to put on that door right there, saying, enter into the holies of holies. Ah, that's why we have the Lord's Supper first. Because that's, before you go into the holies of holies, you actually did things relevant to the Lord's Supper. So he started the Lord's Supper in the Old Testament, right before the high priest goes into the holies of holies. It's the, the manner in which it was structured was like the Lord's Supper. Because when he died, what did he do? Rent the curtain in two. What is he saying? Anybody could now walk in to the holies of holies. So the first thing I have because of the peace of God is the fact that I could be in his presence. And he said, what highlights my presence is church. Because that's the head of the, Christ is the head of the church, it's his body. That's why being in church is huge. It's to be in his presence, in his holies of holies. Here's the second thing. It's like coming to the house. My son got a ticket, but guess what he has to come home? What he, got, what he has to do? Come home. That's where his bed is, his clothes is, his food is. Everything is at the house. So guess what he has to do? Come home. Here's the second thing you see here. I abolished in his flesh the enmity. <laughs> Watch this, folks. Stay right there in Ephesians. And go back to Romans chapter 6. I want you to see this victory. We, 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 we act like we are saved to go to heaven when he's saying saved is being delivered from everything earth has. That will encumber you, stress you, kill you. You know, you know what kills most people? Stress. Stress. Life is so overwhelming, stress kills people. If you look at the number one killer... I don't know, I haven't looked at the statistics lately, but the number one killer many years ago was stress. When I was in China, the number one killer for all the people trying to get this done, get this achieved, they, used to, they literally have to put a barrier at the train station before you step into the train because folks will throw themselves in front of the train. When you, when you go along the streets of, uh, of Shanghai, uh, you, you, you literally have the road is here and you got a barrier here. And the only way you could cross is to go to where the break is to go from one side of the street to the next. 
You can't go, you can't do like I do when I'm downtown, just kind of run across the street, jaywalk. Can't do that. There's a barrier because people would throw themselves in front of cars, trucks, and die. Stress. Stress. Understand. <laughs> he says, when I came, I came, watch this carefully, to take the stress off the flesh. The flesh is weak. It brings stress. Look at verse 6 of chapter 6 of Romans. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to it. For he who is, has died is freed from sin, is freed from this body. Why? Because we're living in the spirit. I'm no longer living in the flesh. We go there next. The thing that he saved me from is from the effects of the flesh so that I learn how to live in the spirit. That's why there's Bible study. That's why there's prayer meetings. What we turn, he's training us to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. That's all he's doing. He's training us in order for us to start saying, oh no, this is what God says. I'm going to do what God says no matter what. What am I doing? Killing the flesh. Okay. These several things make the flesh affect us. We don't have time to go to all these verses, but there's several things that make the flesh effective. The Bible says in, John chapter, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says, the eye could make the whole body dark. That's why Satan, in his world, philosophy, creates pornography. Because if I can get people to look at pornography, I can create rape. I can create such crazy things in pornography, people will do things with animals. People will do things that could destroy them. So I'm going to take something that God says with a man and a woman in Hebrews chapter 13 is holy to God, and I'll make it desperately wicked. Because the world, philosophy, I must be driven that way because the flesh, I know it has a desire for this. So I will destroy it. It's 39 diseases. See, watch this carefully. So he, he messes up the eye. You ever, uh, you ever went to a store hungry? Come on now. Could I get a witness up in here? How fast do you shop when you're hungry than if you go when you're not hungry? You ever notice what's on the bottom shelf in a grocery store? It's stuff like gains, not Tide. Tide may be a shelf up. What they tried to do was put the chief stuff low, hope you come hungry, and go broke. You ever ask yourself why they give you a 20% discount to get a credit card? Because they're going to charge you 30-something percent interest. So when you get 20% interest on the credit card, oh, girl, I got me a discount. <laughs> I got me a discount. Girl, I got me 20% off. Then I had a sale over here. They're still making money because they're going to tell you pay $5 on the credit card forever at 30-something percent. Why? The I. The I. He said it could darken the whole body, the tongue, this flesh. The tongue never got saved. 
That's why he said somebody come to church and bless God and cuss in the parking lot. They never got saved. <laughs> they cuss on their way out the sanctuary. These crazy people, blah, 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 and speaking tongues. Speaking tongues. Okay? In an ungodly tongue. Why is that? Because the tongue, the Bible says, never got saved. The mind, Romans chapter 12, never got renewed. It has to be renewed. Because the world philosophy thinks such a certain way that when God is saying something, he's the enemy. He's dumb. He's stupid. What is he saying? That don't make no sense to me. I can be what I want to be. I can choose what I want to choose or become what I want to become. Who can tell me what to do? The mind has been educated in college, high school, grad school, PhD. I know what I'm supposed to think. I don't need nobody telling me what to think. I just need to be blessed to the city, blessed to the field, blessed when I come and when I go. So help me get blessed. Don't be trying to tell me how to think. The mind never got saved. And if we had time, you go to Romans chapter 8, it would tell you it is hostile towards God. Can't stand what God has to say, just like a teenager being raised in a house. See? Here's the next thing. The mind never got saved. The eye never got saved. The tongue never got saved. The hands. First Timothy chapter 2. Keep them holy. Because the hands could do some unholy things. Hello, somebody. You know, at the Oscars. <laughs> In the name of Jesus. <laughs> the, the hand can do some unholy things. So he says, when you come to church, lift up holy hands. In other words, you're coming to me to praise me, but I gave you hands. What did you do with them? See, <laughs> the Bible is saying <laughs> French fries. <laughs> it can work you over. You got to watch the stomach. The stomach can be gluttonous. Therefore, I could be sinful. To understand, the Bible is saying, the flesh never got saved. So a person can be saved and live a carnal life because they're in the flesh. This is what I think. This is what I feel. You better do this for me. And you don't do this for me. I'm out of here. I don't like you. All kind, you know, all kind of stuff coming out the tongue, the mind, the hands. Because even though the person may be saved, they got to be delivered from this flesh. Because it never got saved. It is so messed up. That God says, when you die, I'm going to give you a glorified body. Don't bring that mess up here. He don't want it. I bring you a glorified, I get you a glorified body at the rapture. I don't want that body here. It is still messed up. So therefore, he says, I got to save you from this flesh. And that's why this whole process of Bible study. Holding people accountable to live righteous lives. 
All these things become important because the Bible is saying the flesh never got saved. And if you don't practice learning how to live in the Holy Spirit, you constantly live in the flesh. And so you're going to be at Christ. Oh, Christ, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You'll be stuck. Rather than going to Christ saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord, because I'm now walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. I don't have as many sins to confess so we could talk about some other stuff. We could talk about God bless my family. God watch over my money. God watch over my car. God watch over my house. God watch over my job. He says, okay, we don't have to talk about sin as much. We could talk about you living productive on earth because we have dealt with sin. Now you're living holy so we could just talk about righteousness. He paid for our sin <laughs> so that we can have a relationship that is productive. Because what does the flesh bring? Anxiety, stress, fears, perplexity. It brings with it depression, grief pain. So that's why Satan can create such a life out there that's such messed up because he knows we're still in the flesh. That's why he says this. Walk with me. Walk with me. The question is, how do I then, I'm still in verse 9, oh hallelujah. How do <laughs> how do I then how do I then be saved, because I'm already saved from the wrath of God. How do I then be saved functionally? That's verse 10. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're in verse 10. Verse 10 is going to teach us how we are saved to life. We're saved to life. Okay, first, first we got to figure out what is life. What is life? Somebody bless my wife and I to say, hey, Pastor, would you come and do our wedding in Mexico? Yeah, but uh, who's paying? <laughs> I said, you know, it ain't in my budget. My money don't work that way. He says, no, Pastor, we got you. And bring your wife. We'll take care of her. What? It, for a minute, I had to catch myself. Like, did you do the premarital counseling? I didn't want to think about it at that time. You're going to pay for my flight, my food, my hotel, anything at this all-you-can-eat place. <laughs> all I got to do is come and get you to say, I do. I said, okay, God, hold on. Did they get premarital counseling? Did this go this way? Okay, okay, can we get myself right? My wife and I flew, and I saw my little points. I used my points. So I got to work us up to business class to my points. I said, this is nice. Landed in Mexico. We'll have a car for you at the airport. Okay. You could be a member forever. You've just become a charter member. Got in this car. Drove to the hotel. Okay. This is not like, uh, uh, <laughs> y'all know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> this is a hotel. We drive up there, walk in. Oh, yes, yes, sir. Dr. Cannons, we have a room for you. We go, okay, we're looking at the water. All of that was paid for. Still met with the couple, talked with them. Says, okay, God, I got to stay focused. <laughs> All of that was paid for. 
And then he said this that blew me away. Vasquez, if y'all want to stay a few extra days, you're welcome. Did you just say that to a black man? <laughs> How many days is a few days? <laughs> you see, I was living a life that I can't pay for. I was actually living a life that somebody else paid for, but I choose to enjoy it. I didn't exploit it. I said, no, baby, two days we go home. I don't want to do this. My wife says, we could do it in a day because I don't want it. No, 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 no. We, we can do an extra day, an extra couple of days. I, I, I'll set up at the hotel and pay for one extra. How's that work? Work good. I feel better that way. So, okay, good. We could live in a world we don't have money for because it was paid for. So, 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 watch this verse. Watch this verse. In verse 10 he says, you were enemies. We were reconciled through his death. Now he brings up his death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by what? His life. No, 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 not my life, but his life. He says you've been justified, now you are reconciled. Meaning, now you can have a functional relationship with God, but you can only have this functional relationship with God where I'm on the beach with the couple. Hey, pastor, could we eat dinner? Oh, could we eat dinner together? Come on, man, let's eat dinner together. I could do all these different things because the relationship, and if y'all want to get married in Mexico, by the way, I'll be welcome to come with you. But anyway, <laughs> I couldn't help it. I just... I was trying, but the flesh came up. <laughs> I can have this relationship while they're in Mexico because they paid. I wasn't having the relationship in Houston. I was having the relationship in Mexico. What Christ is saying is, you're now with God because you're justified. And since you're justified, you're now reconciled. You can have a relationship with God because he paid for everything and you're living on his life, not on your life. You're living on what he does, not what you do. You're living on his ability, not your ability. You're living on his mind, not your mind. You're living on his eyes, not your eyes. You're living controlling your tongue, not his, not his you're living on his tongue, not your tongue. You're living on his heart, not your heart, because you're living on his life. And the more you live on his life is the more you could enjoy the ride. Because the ride is paid for. So the question becomes, how do you get this life? Because that's the salvation functionally on earth. Here's these four things. I'm glad you asked. Here's these four things. I've been mentioning one all along the way. The Holy Spirit. Titus chapter 3. Let's turn there quickly. Titus chapter 3. He says this in Titus chapter 3. He says, the Holy Spirit, if you get there fast enough, not, they're going to put it up on the screen in a minute. For when the kindness of God, verse 4, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured upon us richly through Jesus Christ so that being justified by grace we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life key word is what heirs what does that mean 
every benefit that God has for me. Let me put it this way. When, I, when the day comes, the Lord chooses to bring it, and I pass away and my wife passes away, our kids are heirs. Whatever we have accumulated over this time, without them ever working for it, they get it. They get it. It's all done in a will. All done. Who gets what? What does who? We don't want no. We want our family to stay strong and, and be strong. So it's all worked out. Done. Sitting in a drawer. Say, tell them all the time. That's the drawer. Go over there. Everything is worked out in there. Well, everything happens to me. Everything happens to your mom. That's it. Anything happens to me, you take care of your mom through that. You understand me? Yes, sir. All right. Done. They didn't work for nothing. They didn't do anything for anything. They just got it. The Bible is saying when we choose to walk in the Spirit, everything that God has deposited inside for us, every blessing, every power, every strength, every blessing He has will be poured to us because we inherited it when we got the Holy Spirit poured into us at the point of salvation. The Holy Spirit being inside to us bring us all the blessings. That's why I keep telling people, you're running around saying, God bless me. God is saying, you are blessed. Just live in the Spirit. Live in the Holy Spirit. You are blessed. I'm not holding nothing from you. You're the one pushing everything away because you want to live in the flesh. <laughs> the story was told of a man walking along the beach with his son. And the son said to him, Dad, Dad, y'all are getting older. What does the will say? Son, you don't need to know the will. I don't need to know the will. I'm the oldest. Son, you don't need to know the will. So eventually one day he asked his dad, he said, Dad, why don't I need to know the will? Because you're not in it. He says, but I'm your son. I'm the oldest son. He says, you don't understand. You're on drugs. I had to pay for that. You went through college. It took you eight years. I paid for that. When I looked at you, you got bankrupt three times. I had to bail you out of that. So when I list the things I've constantly done for you, all my life, and I put it up against your brothers and sisters, you went on empty, they're still on full. So because you're on empty, we only have a certain amount of money. When I split the money three ways, and I look at that being equal three ways, I can't give you nothing because I owe them the what I owe them. So you end up with nothing. At least while we're alive, you got something. You at our beach house. Broke. You drive our car because you broke. You finally got a job and you lost the last one because you don't do well at jobs. So you are broke. But at least because I'm your parent, you at my beach house walking on the beach with me full in the stomach. But you can't after I die get anything because you use it all. Some of us want the blessings of God but God is saying you keep using it up. I forgive you of your sins. 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 But when it comes to enjoying the blessings of God on earth, I can't give them to you because you're always here saying, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. When I want to bless you, if you walk in the Spirit, just walk in the Spirit. I will bless you. You're in the inheritance. But I'm a holy God. That's the issue of blessings. That's why you don't see me touching nothing and all this. It's not, it's not magic. You know, 
when you go to your kitchen, you put the glass under the, wa- under the pipe. You turn on the water. It fills up, right? Because you paid the bill. So the water is there. Not a lack of water. Unless you don't pay the bill. Christ said, I paid the bill. But you live such a thirsty life. You spend all your time under the water than in the house. If you just start walking holy, you will enjoy the house. You don't have to sit under the pipe with your mouth open drinking the water. God is saying, I've forgiven you of all your sins. Could we now move into the reconciliation of the relationship? Could we focus on what the relationship means? Could we focus on what that relationship brings you? Could we focus on what that relationship blesses you? How that relationship will guide you? How that relationship will direct you? How that relationship will empower you? So when Satan is coming against you in anxiety, you could pray. When you're broke, you learn contentment. When you're going through hardship, you learn wisdom. When you're going through darkness, you can find the light. When you're going through pain, you can find strength. You can find it all if you just come to the relationship. Work on the relationship rather than keep stuck with the world and a sinful life. That's why he's saying, I'm after salvation here. Heaven is done. I went to heaven. It's done. I just want you to be saved here. That's why he says this. Verse 11, and I'll try to wrap up. But this is, you know, you know, we beat my son up for having his little boy running hills when he was small. I'm one of those. I used to say to him, son, that boy is just five. I know you're going to with your son to exercise and you run hills. So you got him running hills because he's just with you and he loves his daddy. And so he's going to run hills. So he has four of his kids running up and down a hill <laughs> because he's working out and they want to go with their daddy. But the other day, his son decided he wanted to run track. So his son said, Dad, I want to run track. I said, sure, no problem, son. Run track. He goes out for the track team. Goes out for the track team. His first meet, he beat everybody. The coaches go, Whoa. I mean, not, okay, beating somebody is like they're here, you here. No. He's beating them where he is there, where the cameras are, and they're here. So I went to watch him run. And the guy, when he got the, when he got the stick, is ahead of him over there. And the tape is in the parking lot. He ran the guy down and won the race. I go, okay, this, this, is, this is messed up. I, so I told, I said, I said babe, I got to take a picture because you ain't going to believe this. Just ran him down. After a few months, he's number one in the state of Texas. For a sixth grader at 12 years of age, he's so fast that they got to put him with the varsity for him to be challenged. You see, we were fussing about the hills. But now all of us are going, oh, look, that's my grandson. <laughs> that's my grandson. He understands? Yeah, 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 y'all better recognize. 
<laughs> I always tell people, don't look for no Pastor Cannings when his children are doing something. I'm a daddy. I'm a granddaddy. Don't be messed up. I remember when my son was playing playoffs in high school. Somebody came and saw us with a Coke can with rocks in it. We were too poor to buy a little thing. And we had that. My wife made a pom-pom, and we were rocking and shaking. Somebody, I didn't know they were at the game. They came down and said, Pastor Cannings? I say, I'm a daddy. Don't be messing with me. <laughs> Don't be messing with me up in here. <laughs> I'm going to be a daddy. Go on, loud, holler, go, Jamie, run, Jamie. See, I am cheering, but the father was running the hills. See, he and his dad are like, anything his dad says to him, yeah, dad, what you want? The relationship was good because he didn't mind running the hills. You see, God is saying, I understand it's a hill when it comes to managing anger. I understand it's a hill when it comes to watching the tongue. I understand it's a hill when it comes to watching the eye. I understand it's a hill when it comes to controlling the depression, the frustration, the anxiety in your life. When I'm saying, trust me, walk with me, learn about me, it's a hill. But one day when the relationship is good, when Satan is chasing you, you could turn back and look at him and go, where you at? Because I would have you running your race that is set before you so well, Satan can't do nothing to you because you're now running in the strength of God. You're not running in the power of God because you're now reconciled. That's why he's saying, as a result of walking with God, in verse 11, he's saying, you could now walk with confidence. That's what you found in Paul. You couldn't get Paul because he walked in confidence because he knew the relationship with God was right and there's no way God would ever turn his back on him and there's no way anybody could ever beat God. So what could you do to me? But Paul, you're in jail. So what? I can get out when I want to. Paul, you're broke. So what? People could, look at it. Philippian people are bringing me money when I'm broke. Who told them I'm broke? God did. And they found a way to find me without Instagram, Facebook, anything. They found me. That's why we got the book of Philippians. When I'm with God, I could go in the wilderness broke and eat manna from heaven. When I'm with God, I could go to a lion's den and come up without a bite. When I'm with God... I could stay 12 years in prison and come out and become a prince in the land of Egypt. When I'm with God, it doesn't matter if I'm on the sea, rocking in a boat, I can walk on water. When I'm with God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because I'm delivered. I'm delivered from the weakness of the flesh. I'm delivered from the problems of the flesh. I'm delivered from the anxieties of the flesh. I'm delivered from the stress of the flesh. I can now walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, that's what leads to successful, productive worship on Sunday. That's what he's talking about in verse 11. He says, not only this, but we also exalt in God to Jesus Christ. Through whom we have received the reconciliation. The relationship is so great, I can bless God. <laughs> oh, folks, you didn't get to me. David had a hill to climb, Goliath. But I believe in God. Bring it, Goliath. I got a stone for you and all your brothers. I'm ready. David, you got the Philistines coming up against you. So what? David, you got Saul trying to get you day after day after day after day for 12 years. So what? David would say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. 
When God is happy with me, when God is pleased with me, when God sees I'm committed to do what he says and I'm surrendered to his our relationship with him and I'm willing to walk with him no matter what he says, I can walk in strength, not in the weakness of the flesh. All of us want to be blessed and he's saying, be delivered first. Commit to walk with me first. Experience your justification functionally, your reconciliation functionally. And then no matter what kind of situation you had all week, you could walk into the house of God with holy hands. You could walk into the house of God saying, God, bless your name. Your heart can have joy. Your heart can have peace because you know he got everything under control because I've been reconciled. <laughs> Folks, I end with this. Because I could take these verses apart. That's why I could always come back to these verses. There's so much in them we don't even touch. I say this. See. <laughs> I remember a day when our oldest son came home one day and he says, Mama, I want to bless you. He had all these boxes. Well, what's in them boxes? None of my business. He, he's talking to his mama. Boxes. He said, Mom, I'm going to redecorate your kitchen. What? I said, boy, I thought I'd raise you with some sense. You've come to a woman's kitchen and redecorate the kitchen? What is wrong with you? But I still didn't say nothing. And then it dawned on me, growing up, as Pierre said in the second service, Every spring break, she redecorated. Y'all home from school. I'm going to do a spring cleaning. They used to hate it. Why are we spring cleaning? We stay in bed. We do nothing. We watch movies. We get to relax. We don't do nothing at spring break. That's why it's a spring break. You know, Pierre is the one who you sit there quiet with his head is down. And you know he's talking loud. Paul is the one going, Mom, could we talk, man? She had them cleaning, fixing, decorating. So he comes to the kitchen. And he starts opening up the boxes. And he goes, she goes, wow. Oh, my goodness. I've always wanted those. That is beautiful. Okay. She says, Bob, no, don't worry. I, I'm here. I help you put them up. So he has all these beautiful things sitting on the shelves on her cabinets in the kitchen, hanging on the wall just beautiful. She goes, oh, wow. That's it. That's beautiful. The only reason he could do that is because he decided to get out the flesh at spring break. So he could please his mom, who now says, no, 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 son, stick around. I'll cook for you. I'll make a meal for you. Now, all of a sudden, she wasn't cooking for me. <laughs> I was twisted. She cooked for him. And I mean, they're talking and cooking and talking and cooking and laughing and hitting each other and doing all these different things. And then the meal is done and she sit him down and she fix a meal for him and say, thank you. God is saying, I keep trying to redecorate your life. Over and over again, I keep redecorating your life. 
Because the world keeps trying to set it up in a way that ain't got nothing to do with me. It thinks a certain way. It operates a certain way. It functions a certain way. Because Satan wants to take you away from me. But you're my child. So I keep redecorating your mind, your tongue, your hand. Keep redecorating. Because one day when you come into where I've been cooking you, you will be able to talk like me, talk like me, function like me, because you're now thinking like me. So that's why Paul would say, I no longer live. It is Christ that lives in me. The life I now live, the saved life I now live, I live in Jesus Christ. If you kill me, it's going to be Christ. If you let me live, it's going to be Christ, because I now do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because when I get you that way, it doesn't matter where you are. If you're broke, I got you. If you're full of anxiety, I can give you peace. If you need joy, I can give you joy. If you need strength, I can give you strength because you're operating with my mindset. So I bless you. God is not holding back blessings. We're the ones who choose to not be delivered. Let us stand.